As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, July 26th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. On this episode, we'll discuss a few recent debuts and promotions. We've got some young players dealing with injuries to discuss, got some level changes to get to. And then this week, we're going to focus our level roundup on players at AAA who are likely to benefit from the trade deadline. That's coming up one week from today, Tuesday, August 2nd. I believe it's a 6 o'clock Eastern evening deadline. So a lot of player movement is expected. A bunch of players that have been either up and down players or even some that have been stuck at AAA all season who could have clearer past the playing time either because someone in front of them gets traded or because they themselves are moved. And it's going to probably tilt heavily toward bats because if you're at AAA and you're pitching well, you already got promoted because your team probably needed you. So uh, definitely more of a hitter-heavy sort of group of players as we move to that part of the episode in just a little while. We begin with some recent debuts and promotions, though, Al. The Marlins' struggling offense has been a source of frustration. I saw Don Mattingly's comments after an 8-0 blowout loss the first day coming out of the All-Star break. J.J. Blade was promoted just a couple days later, and he's easily putting together his best minor league season yet while playing at the highest level at which we've seen him at AAA. So given the Marlins' needs, am I right to think that J.J. Blade is actually up for good so long as he holds his own against big league pitching? I wasn't sure initially, but uh, he has uh, been playing. Uh, you know, the first uh, I think the first game up, he didn't start, but then he's been starting since then. So I, I think so, just because, as you say, there's a need because of what's not been happening happening offensively for them, but also because I would anticipate that they will be sellers, and that uh, I think that there would be a spot for Blade. So um, yeah, I anticipate that he is up to stay. And the, you know, the, just the remaining question is: is that is there enough there to pursue him? Even in fifteen teamers, I sort of hesitated this weekend. Um, some of that was because of playing time concerns, but uh, I'm just not sure. I mean, it, it is very encouraging that he's after a couple of disappointing seasons that in making that transition to AAA, he's improved, especially uh, in terms of power hitting. Uh, the batting average is still just two twenty eight. 
So I for I think 15 teamers are probably the ceiling for Bladet, and I'm still not certain if I'm going to be bidding there. I think I want to watch pretty closely just to see where he's at in the lineup and how much they're willing to let him play against same-handed pitching. Because if if he's high in the order and he's playing every day, there's a chance he could move into consideration in leagues that are a little more shallow than that. But I think he got it on the sweet spot right now. I think 15-team leagues is where I was interested this weekend. It wasn't big bids. It was mostly like 3 to 5% of a full budget if I had a need, and even a bit less than that if I just wanted to cycle out Blade or cycle in Blade for a, a depth upgrade, right, if my outfielder on the bench. Interesting, though, that even with the strikeout rate we saw at AAA, 27%, highest it's been at any minor league level so far, we saw the best walk rate of J.J. Bladet's professional career, too, 16.3%. So uh, I like to see that. I mean, I think there's a little bit of like what I call non-zero speed in this profile. Only had a couple of steals at AAA, a couple of steals attempts at AAA this year, but had five stolen bases in 110 games at AA a year ago. I'm just really curious to see how hard he hits the ball as well. Is the yeah. power we've seen in games backed up by well above average stat cast numbers too? Because I think that would separate him from other similar player profiles. Like this player profile seems like it's increasingly easy to find. So one of the things that separates your typical low average masher from others is the ability to do extraordinary amounts of damage. You sort of need that playing half your games in Miami, right? If you're not right. an above average barreler, it's going to be difficult to get to what appears to be maybe 30 home run raw power based on minor league numbers and, and what he did back in college as well. So very interesting player. Um, and I think it's interesting to sort of compare him to Nick Prado. Al Nick Prado is getting a chance right now for the Royals, and he's playing a ton. Maybe things get more complicated once Salvador Perez eventually gets healthy, but I think they move MJ Melendez around enough. They played Melendez in the outfield this season a bit where you could really see Perez behind the plate, Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado playing first base and DH in some fashion, and Melendez just working in the outfield to get all four of those guys into the lineup and onto the field at the same time. So I'm kind of interested to see, like, what do you expect Prado to do production-wise, and how does he stack up to Blade? Because on the surface, they do look like somewhat similar players. That's what I was just going to say. Pretty similar profiles. I think maybe a little bit more uh, of a, a high strikeout rate for Prado, uh, but also I think more more power. Um, in fact, I think maybe could be quite a bit more power for Prado. So I was very surprised, by the way, to see that he has continued to play every day for the Royals because I thought this was just just a quick up and down for him when they were shorthanded going into Toronto. But uh, yeah, no, he's uh, stayed in the lineup, and I think it's, yeah, obviously for the Royals, it's the right move. Um, I don't think that there's any point in uh, continuing to play uh, some of the veterans that they've you know had in there for for a while. Uh, see what Prado can do, but ultimately, I think that there he's probably not going to hit for for a very high average. But I, yeah, I think that there's some some power and run production upside here that to me makes him a little bit more interesting in 15 teamers. I think there's a safer track record of in-game minor league production from Nick Prado compared to J.J. Blade, so that probably gives me a little more confidence in him if I'm looking at these two guys and thinking about them as you know, UT spot pickups. Like I could have one of the two. The slightest of edges probably goes to Nick Prado for now. 38 home runs at 137 games at the AAA level across uh, the past two seasons combined for Prado as well. So big-time power in games, much like we saw from Blade, but even one tick above that with more 
exposure to that level. Uh, you, you brought up Drew Waters for the rundown today, and I, I think he's kind of interesting too just because in Atlanta he was really blocked. It's never been a question of interesting tools. It's always been a question of whether or not he was going to make enough consistent contact to unlock his full potential, to become a regular. I think his chances of doing that in Kansas City are a lot better than they were in Atlanta where Michael Harris came up and has been fantastic so far and there just wasn't really a spot that Waters could call his own. But he's another player that could quietly be in a much better place as a result of that trade between Kansas City and Atlanta a few weeks back. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that this is a, a much better uh, place for for Waters to be organizationally. And, and also not just because of the opportunity. And maybe I'm reading a little too much here into a small sample DVR. But Waters uh, with AAA Gwinnett, just five stolen bases uh, across 49 games that he played there this year. He's already played just, well, he's played just nine games at AAA Omaha and already has four four stolen bases there. He's batting 297, even though the strikeouts are still up. They're actually uh, at, a, at a higher rate in this limited sample than we saw at Gwinnett. So I'm still skeptical on the batting average, although because Waters is very fast, that he is the sort of player that if he doesn't put the ball up there too much, could uh, could bab up his way to a decent batting average, even if he's striking out at close to a 30% rate. So I think, yeah, there's there's some potential there. Definitely somebody to target in deeper leagues if you um, if, if you have that steals need, which again, you know, we say every time, or at least I say every time that I say, if you have the steals need and I follow it up with, and we all do. So um, not he's not up yet, obviously, but I could see him being up in the last two months. Yeah, I think for me, I'm looking at Waters as more of an an, an AL-only league con- uh, contributor. I see enough swing and miss downside where I think that could be a problem for him to get to mixed league relevance in the short term. But you've talked about that Scott White dynasty league and any, any sort of dynasty league where you're talking 20-plus teams. I think Waters could be on the radar for a late-season pickup just to kind of see what happens. And the other thing we have to wonder about is if they've made adjustments to his swing. That's the story that I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for an Alec Lewis story about the Royals changing some things about Drew Waters' swing because if that happens and some of those adjustments were to take effect at some point down the stretch, we could see that K rate come down. Um, We've seen decent walk rates in the upper levels of the minor leagues from Waters, at least enough where he could get on base and and use the speed. I think that's the the other thing that's exciting about him. So I'm just kind of curious to know, like, what have the Royals changed, if anything, so far? And what will they change with Drew Waters in the weeks ahead? Uh, One other recent recall, Ethan Small back up for the Brewers. He, of course, debuted earlier this season. It was just two and two-thirds innings, four Ks, four walks, allowed a couple of runs back in May. Uh, but he's back up for the Brewers, taking the last spot in the rotation that was previously held by Jason Alexander. Not that Jason Alexander, but you know, the Brewers' Jason Alexander. Uh, probably holding this spot until Freddie Peralta comes off the injured list in a few weeks. Peralta has started to make some progress in his recovery, so you know we could see him maybe in the middle part of August. But for now, Small gets an opportunity. The biggest issue at AAA has been walks. For the season, 40 walks in 70 and two-thirds innings. Last four starts have been a little bit better, though, a step in the right direction. A 23-9 to strikeout-to-walk ratio in 23 innings for Small and a 313 ERA along with a 104 whip. So... I'm just curious, uh, what are you doing with Ethan Small in leagues where he's available, given our ongoing search for any sort of starting pitcher with a pulse? 
Yeah, well, it, it might be a categorical need here because there's uh, some strikeout potential, but you did mention the walks issue for small. So because of that, in my 15 teamers, uh, I don't see myself bidding on small. But again, if you if you need to catch up in strikeouts, if you don't maybe have a particularly deep rotation in your 15 team league, uh, I think small would be fine there. I think it'd be appropriate to to bid on him this weekend. Uh, I also don't think he's a a must add, a must bid in 15 teamers. Anything deeper, of course, uh, like the the aforementioned Scott White Dynasty League, like a 24-team league like that, uh, certainly NL-only leagues, uh, I think there you do have to try to get them. Yeah, definitely in those deeper formats. I think what we see in his second big league start Tuesday night against the Twins will probably shed some light on how much we'd be willing to speculate this coming weekend in those mixed leagues. If he looks a lot better, he gets deep into the game, keeps a, a good Twins lineup off balance, I think that might build up a little bit of confidence in what Small could do, at least in the short term, because I think once Peralta's up, if Ethan Small stayed with the Brewers, it would probably be in the old Aaron Ashby role, where he'd be that sort of flexible, multi-inning guy that they can use when a starter comes up a bit short. Let's get to some injuries. Max Meyer, unfortunately hurt, left his second big league start with an elbow injury, and it's a sprain in the right elbow. So at this point, you know we don't know if there's going to be surgery, but obviously that's the way things can go in these situations. So we're waiting for further information there. But it was an elbow injury that also slowed him down earlier this season at AAA, Al. So could be a pretty disappointing conclusion to Max Meyer's rookie season. Yeah, very, very disappointing because we had been hyping him up earlier in the season before he got hurt, uh, hyping him up again before his uh, his actual major league call up, uh, maybe one of the last, if not the last, real impact uh, prospect call ups uh, that you know we figured we'd see uh, among pitchers, and yeah, like you said, uh, very well could be the end of his uh, rookie season after it barely got started. Meyer's teammate, well, organization mate, Edward Cabrera, is actually working his way back from an elbow injury. He just had a rehab start at Double A Pensacola on Friday. Actually ended up going three scoreless innings and striking out seven in that appearance. So another rehab assignment start probably on tap here for Wednesday or Thursday with Cabrera. But uh, you think about all the different things that could happen at the deadline. I think one, it's not certainty, but one likely outcome is that the Marlins trade some of their pitching, their controllable pitching to get offensive help for the future. And that could either open up a spot for Cabrera in the Miami rotation, or he could be some of that young pitching that is sent elsewhere. So I think he would be on the short list of pitchers that I'm looking at whose value could change quite a bit just over the course of the next week, assuming everything keeps going well with this rehab assignment. Yeah, he could be a really helpful pitcher down the stretch in fantasy wherever he pitches. I suspect it'd be with the Marlins, but that that's a, you know an interesting uh, possibility that you raise and uh, you know made the analogy before but maybe it is another you know Zach Gallon type trade that we see I think that was actually a really fun trade in hindsight at the time everyone was like oh why are they trading away Zach Gallons getting this shortstop that strikes out too much kind of stuck at double a oh well, it turns out Jazz Chisholm's a really exciting impact player so probably a trade that works out for both organizations in the long run maybe the Marlins can find something similar again here in 2022. Uh, Tristan Cassis back from an ankle injury at AAA Wooster. Is that the correct pronunciation, Al? Yeah, that's a little closer to you than it is to me. Uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe too long on the O's, like Wooster. 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 Wooster, yeah. not Wooster. Wooster. 
but they're the woo socks. That's why it messes with my head as someone who's not from the area. Yeah, and I, I get those ads here for the woo socks, so <laughs> I, I I get it. Catch the fever? No. Make your feet warmer? Is that, what, what's their slogan? Uh, well, yeah, I don't think the slogan's on the ad, so I, I don't know. They need a slogan. The uh, thing about Cassis right now, I'm actually less confident we're going to see him in the final two months of the season. It almost seems like the scenario that would unfold that would enable Cassis to debut. He's healthy maybe after this two-month-ish absence. Starts hitting a bit more at AAA. And maybe the Red Sox start to get to the point where they're looking to the future. I mean, record-wise, they have kind of fallen right into the thick of the bubble teams to where if they have a couple bad series leading into the deadline next week, they could actually end up as sellers. I mean, they could be trading players like Nathan Evaldi, Rich Hill's there on a one-year deal, J.D. Martinez in the last year of his contract. They got a handful of guys like that, Enrique Hernandez, all of those players could be theoretically on the move for Boston, depending on how things play out. If they do something like that, then I think Casas could get a chance to debut. But the stash appeal that he appeared to have when the season started has faded outside of AL only leagues. Yeah, well, uh, and I think that's a, a good way to be looking at Casas's uh, chances for playing this year in terms of what where the Red Sox going to do on the field in the next week or so. But um also, just when you were walking through that, also made me think about Jaron Duran, too, because I've just been sort of assuming that he wasn't going to be playing much down the stretch, especially once Enrique Hernandez comes back. But yeah, I think if if things uh, you know continue to take a, a turn for the worse for the Red Sox, maybe uh, it, it's, a, it's a good time to try to, to speculate on Duran, uh, because I think that would absolutely solidify his playing time. Yeah, I think Duran has the kinds of, of, of fantasy tools that could make him viable in a 12-team league. If you picked him up the last time he was promoted and you've been using him, it hasn't been enough over the course of July. Since July 1st, Jaron Duran hitting 194 with a 237 OBP and a 333 slugging percentage, four walks against 27 strikeouts in 76 plate appearances. Uh, has a homer and three steals, but it's been a, a costly way to get some speed given the uh, struggles overall for Jaron Duran. But I think he would also be in that group of players that the playing time becomes a lot safer if they're not as fixated on trying to make it to the postseason here in 2022. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. A couple other level changes and items of note. Jackson Churio, as expected, promoted to high A Wisconsin. Great time for a road trip if you're in Wisconsin. Probably not going to hear this episode with enough time to make that decision to actually get up to Appleton to watch that debut. But I think Churio, you can start to get the sense that 
within the organization, they've been excited about him all season. And I think with Churio, you know, you're talking about a guy that probably jumped as much in prospect value to this point in the season as almost any player in the minor leagues. I think you can't can't go a day or two without really seeing his name in, in the corners of prospect Twitter. Um, so he closes out his time at low A with 12 homers, 10 steals, a 324, 373, 600 line. 28% K percentage is probably the only real short-term concern. There was some really interesting stuff that uh, was passed along when I was asking some questions to people that have seen him this year. And it sounds like he's he's so young for the level and he's already making the kinds of adjustments that a more advanced hitter would make that it wouldn't be surprising if the K rate was actually a little better at high A than it was at low A, just based on some of the things that people who've had eyes on him have been able to pass along. Yeah, I mean, he was 17 at the start of the season, so or at least uh, spring training. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> very, very young for the level. And uh, I would be at all surprised to see that trend from him as he uh, goes uh, further uh, up in the organization. Your new favorite timber rattler, if you are in the Fox Valley area, it's the maybe it's only a half season where you get to watch him before he gets a bump up to double A to begin 2023. We will see how things play out for him. Uh, If you're a Yankees fan, you got Jason Dominguez at Hudson Valley now. He's at high A. He actually hit a pretty big home run in his high A debut. It was two outs in the ninth, came up with a, a big one. And I think the the similar question with, with Jason Dominguez is just going to be like, where does the K rate go with the promotion? 27.5%. That was the one thing in the profile during his time at low A this season that gave some people pause. But I also think if you if you took away the backstory, Jason Dominguez's first half would be really exciting. He was 36% better than league average. He showed power. He showed a lot of speed. We saw him in the Futures game hit that home run. It looks like real sort of big league power that he's going to get to in the long run. So I'm just really curious to see where that strikeout rate goes because I think if he keeps that similar to the level he had at low A or if he somehow improves it, we're talking about a guy that's suddenly going to regain some of that lost prospect value. If you look at where he was on prospect list two years ago compared to where he was when this season started, it's been mostly declined for Dominguez, and I think he can at least make up some of that ground. Yeah, but uh, you know, we saw some some improvement in repeating the level uh, with a little bit of a, of a chipping away at the strikeout rate, a big improvement in walk rate, a little bit more power. So I think this is another case of somebody that's, you know, he's got the tools that, um, you know, just with some refinements as he gets promoted, you could see his, his, uh, those indicators get better and not worse uh, as the level of competition gets tougher. Let's move on to our level roundup. As I mentioned up top, we're looking at players in AAA or players that have spent a lot of time in AAA who should play more as we move to the final two months of the season. And I'm really curious now to see what happens with Will Benson. You might remember that name, Will Benson, a first-round pick of the Guardians back in 2016, 14th overall in that draft. And you know, level to level over the time uh, he's been in their system, hasn't had... Like a, a bad season, but just hasn't been as good as expected in part because of a lot of swing and miss in his profile. Really high strikeout rates pretty much everywhere he's been, usually 30% or higher for Benson. Tons of walks, though. He's shown power in games. He's shown speed for us as fantasy players that we could be excited about. And it seems like he's really put everything together this year as a 24-year-old, just turned 24 back in June, 
at AAA Columbus Al, a 22.5% K rate, 18.7% walk rate. Not surprisingly, it's a great line. 276, 425, 517. That's a 153 WRC plus, one of the most productive players at that level. The underlying numbers, the hard hit rate, is right above, right above 33%. So that's solid for the minor league numbers I've seen. And we're still seeing that power and speed combo. So I guess the question is, how does he fit in Cleveland's outfield, given some of the needs they've had? Or do you see him as a trade piece if they fancy themselves buyers at the deadline? Uh, well, yeah, I think that there would definitely uh, be be some room there. I don't know that you know Stephen Kwan would necessarily be, be an obstacle for them. Um yeah, I just uh, it, it depends too. Like, uh, if, if there is, you know, if Rambel Reyes continues to to play regularly, or if he uh, if he gets traded, so it seems like there ought to be some way to make room. I mean, it's a little bit analogous, maybe, to the Alec Burleson situation with the Cardinals, where you think there's there's just got to be a way to find room, and yet, no matter how you slice it, there's not a, a, a super plausible path. But it is just a it's been a massive breakout year. Uh, for him this year. So I, I think he's, he's worth speculating on in, in monos uh, just to see if there is somehow a path uh, created at the trade deadline. Yeah. I think it's just going to be a matter of how much are they willing to play him in center field, at the big league level. He's played there a decent amount at AAA. I think he played all three outfield spots well enough to possibly earn time there. Do you take Miles straws defense out of the equation on some days to get Benson playing time there? How does Nolan Jones fare as he gets more exposure to big league pitching? You mentioned Quan. I think Quan's an interesting player. I, I I don't think that profile is the profile that you want up and down your roster, but having one player like that in your starting lineup can be a good thing just to you know get some pressure on opposing teams. You can lead a player out like that off, and, and if he's walking a little bit, making all that contact, then maybe you get a great table setter for the rest of your lineup, but... I'll see. Yeah, I think the Franmil Reyes situation is kind of interesting. Like, is, is he is he steady? Is he clearly the DH throughout the second half of the season? So there's a few ways it could work out for Benson, but just a name that's really been forgotten about, I think, because uh, the the prospect appeal tailed off pretty quickly. Again, thanks to those high strikeout rates. I want to talk about Jake McCarthy for a bit. He's already on the roster in Arizona, and he's been on the roster for about half of the season. Kind of been an up and down guy so far, but. For all the talk about David Peralta being one of the many veteran players likely to be moved to the deadline, who replaces him? I think has been mostly focused on, could it be Corbin Carroll? And sure, anything's possible, more likely. It just means someone like Jake McCarthy, if not Jake McCarthy himself, will just play even more than he's played to this point because the numbers at AAA were pretty interesting. Jake McCarthy cut his strikeout rate to 13.3%. I should say, like if you've, Dropped your strikeout rate at AAA. I think we still have some of the same concerns we had about that level that existed a year ago where there might not be as much swing and miss at that level for hitters because the quality of the pitching is still down. That's still a really big step forward from being at 23% the same level just a season ago. McCarthy draws walks. He has some speed. He's got some non-zero pop. So I'm just curious to know if you're interested in McCarthy as a, a deep mixed league stash knowing that at least one veteran outfielder is probably on the way out in Arizona. 
Yeah, I I am. That's the short answer. And I, I was already starting to hedge a little bit because I, I'm not clear what the Diamondbacks plan is here. And, and hopefully that'll become more clear after August 2nd. Uh, in a way, it's to me a little bit like what the Pirates are doing where they've got a lot of prospects and they're kind of cycling them in and out of the roster, the major league roster. And so it's kind of hard to know, you know, outside of like O'Neill Cruz, who's really going to get a shot after the the trade deadline. So I, I'm a little distrustful of the playing time for McCarthy, even after presumably David Peralta is gone. And there is Dominic Fletcher. You mentioned Corbin Carroll, who I'm not expecting to see. I don't think many people are expecting to see Carroll this year. Um, so that that that's what causes me to hesitate a little bit. I think maybe the way to go in those deeper mixed leagues is just with a nominal bid. I, I frankly think that's probably going to be enough in a lot of leagues, and that way you're not giving up uh, very much in case the Diamondbacks do just continue to mix and match. Corbin Carroll's pretty ridiculous, by the way. It's seven games at AAA. He's got 10 walks against 4Ks. He's homered twice, and he's 5-for-5 five five as a base stealer already. It's only been a week's worth of games, but... Uh, Corbin Carroll showing us that he might not be at AAA at the end of this season. He might be pretty clearly on the opening day roster uh, plan for the Diamondbacks. But yeah, I, I think the depth that they have, you mentioned a few of those other names, does make it a little bit trickier to figure out just how much time they're going to give someone like McCarthy. But I think they're going to use this little window before Carroll takes over one of those spots just to make sure they have the right fourth outfielder for next season. I think getting stuff like that right is important to organizations as they go through their various roster crunches. Uh, Here's a name that I had not thought about all season, Nate Eaton in Kansas City. I think you can kind of throw Kyle Isbell in this group too, but he's been more up and down than Eaton has. Andrew Benintendi is supposed to get traded. Michael Taylor could be traded somewhere else. And Eaton's kind of had this weird minor league path. He was a 21st round pick in 2018. And he's never really been a productive minor league player until a 42-game stint with Omaha this season. So I see a pretty clear like AL-only league sort of guy if he does, in fact, get more opportunities. But I could see him being one of those sort of glue guys in an organization that's not getting a lot of attention right now. Yeah, well, it's it's very easy for me to kind of dismiss the the breakout this season because he is doing it as a a 25-year-old at AAA. But you know, who's to say he's couldn't be, you know, this year's Frank Schwindel. Um, so I, I don't think we should totally dismiss. It. I think you're right to, to put Eaton on our radar and there definitely could be an opportunity post uh, post uh, trade deadline for him to get some playing time. It's sort of that cheap speed play. We were talking about it just a little bit earlier with, with Drew Waters. It's that kind of like, oh, well, in a really deep league and maybe both of those guys can't come up at the same time. Like that might be part of the problem. So if it's not Waters, it's Eaton. If it's not Eaton, it could be Waters that uh, offers that value in those really deep formats. Uh, the next name is one that I've seen on leaderboards before, one that I've thought about as kind of a overlooked player in really deep leagues, Taryn Vavra, who has eligibility at second base and in the outfield in some places. So you got to look and see like where he's actually eligible, depending on where you play your league. There's not a lot of power there, but there is some speed. It seems like it's hit tool and OBP skills above everything else. The Orioles have been using him as a second baseman and a center fielder this season at AAA. Maybe he's a left-handed Garrett Hampson type, which, again, kind of gets you either excited or really disappointed, depending on the depth of your league. But 
how much longer are they going to keep playing Rudnit Odor as a regular at second base? It just seems like they actually have a spot that could be Vavra's sooner rather than later, regardless of what happens at the deadline. I think it would make sense for the Orioles to make that move. I don't, I don't know if it means that they they actually will, and also how seriously the Orioles might try to pursue a wild card spot that might have something to say say about that. But the Orioles do have some other options because you can always have uh, Ramon Arias. Uh, you know, play play second base uh, pretty regularly in, instead of Odor, and then maybe you've got Tyler Nevin, who's already on the roster, playing at third base. Uh, I don't really think we're going to see Gunnar Henderson this year. I would I would love to. It's kind of like the same thing with Cor- Corbin Carroll. Seems like he's ready. Hasn't missed a beat going to AAA or uh, yeah to AAA, but um, I, I'm not expecting it. But I also don't think that Vavre coming up, even though again it makes sense that he's kind of in that sweet spot of higher ceiling than Nevin. Um, probably more incentive to bring him up than Henderson down the stretch, but uh, I think they could go a number of different ways. Let's talk about Jonathan Aranda just for a moment. I think he's a trade candidate along with Vidal Brujan. I think those are major league ready bats that other teams can play more than the Rays play them. I know the Rays value their depth, but they're they're so good at unearthing talent and, and making sure their 40-man roster is full that they might be more inclined to make a trade or two to open up spots for for other players in the 40 man later on like that that could easily be part of their calculus so if they're out trying to get rentals it could be players like Aranda and Bruhan on the move so i do think if you're in a deep enough league even in a redraft scenario and those guys are currently sitting on the wire picking them up now waiting to see what happens at the deadline and just cutting them loose if they end up being in the same situation is probably a risk worth taking. We know Aranda can hit a ton, and Bruhan, even if there are some questions about his power long-term, if you gave him a lot of playing time, Al, I'm pretty confident he could steal 20 bases as an everyday player in the big leagues. Yeah, I agree with that, uh, and certainly be interested in either of those those players with a, a better guarantee of playing time, and just keep our fingers crossed and, and see if that happens. It does make it a little tricky to speculate in AL only because maybe that's not going to be the league that they're in uh, a week from now. El Hiris Montero is another interesting name. He's in Colorado right now. They just optioned him back to AAA about two weeks ago. He's got a brief time with the Rockies this season, 11 games in total, you know, 15 strikeouts and 35 plate appearances. That doesn't give you a whole lot of hope, but the numbers of AAA have been very good this year. 320, 397, 545 line, 13 homers in 267 plate appearances. Uh, the swing and miss in his profile, not as much of a problem at AAA as it has been in the big leagues. Again, take the take that with a necessary grain of salt. But I think the hard thing for me to figure out with Montero is what would the Rockies do to free up playing time? I think for me, it's either trade C.J. Crone or trade Charlie Blackman because you'd have this floating D.H. possibility if you you know traded Blackman away. If you had first base open, you could move some guys around to that spot. Montero himself could maybe play some first base if they wanted to keep Ryan McMahon over at third. Uh, if they want to play Montero at third, maybe you can play Ryan McMahon at second again and Brendan Rodgers back at shortstop, but that would require trading Jose Iglesias. I don't know if anyone's really interested in, in acquiring Iglesias as an upgrade at the shortstop position. So do you see a path for Montero? Because I actually see a pretty interesting bat, even though the first three weeks or so of his big league career have been a bit underwhelming. Yeah, I I, I see a path because you just uh, enumerated a few different possibilities that all seem really plausible. Uh, a, a trade of, of Kroner Blackman, I could imagine that. I, I sort of like the idea of 
that shift of, of the infielders to make room for, for Montero um, that would require them to, to trade um, Jose Iglesias. I, I don't, you know, I mean, I think he would have value, maybe not as the starter for some team to, to, you know, be an upgrade over their starting shortstop, but as somebody who, you know, just as a bench piece or just insurance for uh, whoever the starting shortstop is, I think that would make sense for a lot of playoff teams. So there's multiple ways to get that playing time for Montero and it, it would make sense. Now this, this being the Rockies, sometimes they don't do the things that we think would make sense for them, but this would make a world of sense. Yeah. I have learned to not rely on the Rockies to do the obvious or logical thing because they rarely follow suit and do that. Esteban Florial, I think is another needs a trade sort of guy, kind of like Bruhan in some ways. I do think the, the one red flag that I see in Floreal's numbers at AAA this season. He's having a great season. He's 32% better than league average. He's kind of helped recoup some of his lost prospect appeal. It's a 29.1% K rate at AAA. That's a shade on the high side, given the concerns about that level. Um, he is drawing a lot of walks. He's been pretty patient throughout his entire professional career, his entire time in the Yankees system. But it's a nice power-speed combo. 12 homers this season and 28 stolen bases. He's 28 for 30, or 28 for 34 as a base dealer so far here in 2022. So uh, if Floreal ends up in a situation where he can play more after the All-Star break, are you taking that chance, even though there's been a lot of swing and miss around that power-speed combo this year? Yeah, no, I, I definitely would because that's just you've, you have the opportunity to get somebody who can help you with speed, as we you know continually say is uh, something that's useful to everybody, and at the same time not you know not just be a one category contributor. Uh, I, my memory serves DVR. I think that uh, Scranton Wilkes Bar is kind of a tough park uh, to produce power in. So uh, the numbers numbers he's put up might not look that great, but I th- think you know that. Like you said, the WRC plus indicates that he's been well over league average. And I think that uh, a 214 ISO at that park is pretty good. Yeah, we get the same kind of thing with Bubba Thompson in Texas for what it's worth. You know, plenty of power, 12 homers this year. He's 46 for 48 as a base dealer at AAA. Uh, Not walking as much as Floreal, but striking out a little bit less. You You move one outfielder out of the mix in Texas and suddenly... Thompson's getting a look in the second half of the season. So uh, who do you think is a better stash? Do you take the guy with the slightly lower K rate? Do you take the guy with the slightly higher walk rate? Um, or do you take the guy that just runs more? I mean, Thompson, 46 for 48 at AAA in a half season's worth of games, 73 games is remarkable for for a stolen base success rate and for volume. Yeah, no, absolutely is. And I, I think that there's there's enough there offensively. And we, we've talked about this where you see those kinds of numbers. Well, probably we've talked about it in regard to Story Ruiz and just, you know, wondering, okay, is there going to be enough quality contact there? And I think with Thompson, there is that. It, to me, it does make him a little bit more attractive of an option as compared to Floreal. Yeah, you look at their DH situation right now. Brad Miller is hurt, so that opens up some playing time. I think Cole Calhoun's the player you look at and say, maybe he gets traded to a contender, and that opens up a lot of extra playing time in the outfield. I thought earlier in the year, Adelis Garcia could actually be an interesting trade chip for the Rangers too, just because he's a little older than you think, plays good defense, can play center field in a pinch, offers some power. I know it's a profile that teams don't overpay for, but... 
you never know what you could get back in the return if you're the Rangers. So maybe he's more movable than people might think. Uh, one more name to throw at you on the hitting side, Al. Luan Diaz, first baseman in the Marlins organization. Is there anything in this profile that you think will actually work consistently well at the big league level? I'm a little underwhelmed because for a mashing first baseman, he doesn't walk quite as much as you want. But at the same time, there's not there's not an alarming amount of swing and miss in the profile either. Is he just kind of a very average big league bat playing a position where our expectations are, are higher than that? I think that's a, about right. Although uh, I think that what you what you said about the position doesn't hold as much now as it did maybe three four years ago. Uh, there's you know there's not a ton of surplus uh, at, at first base. So I think if you can be just be somebody who does produce decent power um, and not be a, just a, an albatross with with batting average, that uh, that that does have some value. I, I see him as sort of analogous to a player, a different position, but a player you just mentioned, Cole Calhoun, uh, where I, I don't think that Diaz has much batting average upside, even though he doesn't strike out a ton. It's just he's very reliant on a fly ball profile to get that power. And he's he's already shown that power at the major league level. He's uh, barreled at a decent rate, got a decent amount of playing time in, in 2021. So he's already he's already demonstrated that. It's just a question of, is he going to hit for a high enough average, is he going to be able to hit like 230? Because if he does hit 230, maybe 240, uh, that works. That works with the with the power that he's already shown. Yeah, if you think about the possibilities of, you know, Jesus Aguilar or Garrett Cooper getting moved to a contending team, Diaz could surface to get a bit more playing time for the Marlins in the second half. Let's take a look at a few pitchers. I mentioned up top, not a particularly long list because many high-quality AAA pitchers are already contributing at the big league level in some capacity. But one team that's got really good depth right now is Atlanta. And I have to wonder if Ian Anderson is just in danger of being replaced outright because Kyle Muller continues to pitch really well. I was looking at his game log at AAA Gwinnett. Going back to the start of May, Kyle Muller has made 12 starts. He's gone five innings or more in all of them. He's got an 89 to 19 strikeout to walk ratio in 74 and two thirds innings. The ERA is under three at 277. So as far as your stashes in the minor leagues go, you have to think Muller is coming up to offer Atlanta something in the near future, or he'd be a highly coveted player at the deadline if they were willing to move him. But I think they view him more as someone that could help them sooner rather than later and it seems like they've got a growing need in the back of that rotation i'm surprised he's not up already i don't really understand it um and to that point i did pick him up in tgfbi this weekend so uh, i i felt like that was the window because uh i'm not that i'm expecting the the braves to create a rotation vacancy by way of trade but i just figure enough things might shift during this week that it might uh he Muller's profile in FAB might might be a little higher uh, by this weekend. So if you are still able to to get Muller, uh, hopefully that's not going to be the case and you aren't going to have to spend too much FAB to get him. But I fully expect he's going to be in the rotation over the last two months. Yeah, it just seems like they need to make that switch. And whether it's Anderson to the bullpen, Anderson down to AAA himself for a bit to try and get right, fixing Ian Anderson seems like a priority. And they've at least got the depth to try and see how that plays out in high quality game scenarios if they want to give them that option. Uh, Tucker Davidson has also pitched 
pretty well this year at AAA. No, ratios aren't quite as good as, as Muller's. I, I, I see Davidson as more of a... He's the kind of player that a team... like I feel like Oakland would want Tucker Davidson because he's 26 already. He's a finished product, so he's fully stretched out as a starter. On a good team, he's more of an up-and-down guy, and he's tough for us to rely on. I'm just wondering, do you think Tucker Davidson would be a good fantasy starter if he ended up on a rebuilding team that afforded him an opportunity to start every fifth day? Because I think in his current role, he's almost unrosterable beyond a deep NL only league. Yeah, well, at the beginning of the season, I really thought that Davidson had a a very good shot to settle into that fifth starters role. Uh, That was before uh, we, we, you know, knew a lot about Spencer Strider. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... Uh, that opportunity is, you know, come and gone. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I, I absolutely do think that uh, Davidson would be a, a fantasy viable starter in a different organization. And it that seems like that would be a, a move that the Braves would have an incentive to make at the uh, at the deadline unless they just really want to maintain their depth, which I guess in, in, in thinking it out loud, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing for them to do. Yeah, I just I could see Davidson being exactly the kind of player that a team would want as like the second piece back in a trade, or if it's just a, a two-month rental sort of player, I could see Davidson being a straight-up swap for a player like that as well. What do you think the Cardinals are going to end up doing with Matthew Libertor? Because they're always linked to possible upgrades in their rotation. He's the kind of guy that if you had told me they have pitching woes midseason, well, I would have said Libertor's up and probably helping, right? And so far, it's been underwhelming, but it's so early in his career. We're talking about a 22-year-old with 27 innings in the big leagues. I know the numbers at AAA haven't been great. The ratios at 436 in 131 don't give you a ton of confidence, but there have been strikeouts. I don't know. Like, Is Libertor actually part of the solution for the Cardinals to get more immediate help in the rotation in a roundabout way? Uh, yeah, I think he absolutely could be. I, I think that maybe they're feeling enough of a sense of urgency that – they would uh, part with a, a pitcher who, you know, as you were alluding to, that he still could be a big part of their their future. Um, but I think that may, maybe there's a sense that uh, the Cardinals are close enough this year that uh, that that's a move that would make sense to them. Uh, th- that said, based on what we have seen from Libertor this year, at least if we're talking about redraft leagues, I wouldn't have a whole lot of interest in him if he did wind up in another organization where he was just up to be in the rotation for good this year. Uh, but I, I still do hold out some hope that in dynasty leagues that he's he he would be uh, a useful pitcher for the long term. Yeah, I guess I've been surprised that the walk rate has been as bad as it's been in the big leagues compared to how good it was at AAA. Like I, I just thought we'd see something a little closer to those upper level minor league numbers for Libertor. But I'm kind of in in your boat on this one where you could trade him to a different team. Give him that opportunity, not make him up and down guy, and I'm not much more interested in Libertor than I am in Tucker Davidson in that scenario, which probably says something about how much Libertor stock has slipped over the first four months of this season. Uh, we're back on Brian Bayo for a moment. I just think he really pops when you look at AAA leaderboards. That Chris Sale injury plus the aforementioned Red Sox fade makes me wonder if Bayo's path to hang around in this rotation might be a little bit easier than it was just a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, it's really strange how that's turned out because we spent week after week talking about uh, not only him, but Josh Winkowski and uh, maybe Connor Siebold as well. And and uh, how's there going to be room for all these guys when they've really made their case to, to get promoted? And yeah, suddenly uh, that looks much more plausible. And of course, it's, it's not really been great what we've seen from Bayo so far, but it would be nice to see him get an extended look and make whatever adjustments that he, he needs to make because he'd been phenomenal at double A AA and triple A this year. And uh, I'd hold that hope that he'd have some value in the majors uh, over the last couple of months. Yeah, Bale versus Muller is actually kind of an interesting toss up. If you were trying to figure out like, oh, okay, who's actually going to pitch more? Whose skills do I like better? But I think they're pretty clearly a, a notch above a lot of the other pitchers that have been either up and down at triple A or even are just stuck at triple A at this present time. Because you look at this Red Sox depth chart, it's Evaldi, Pavetta, Bayo and Cutter Crawford as the first four healthy starters because Walk is hurt, Rich Hill's hurt, Chris Sale, as we know, of course, is hurt, Siebold's hurt, James Paxton comes back eventually. So there's your forgotten player that could be back maybe a month or so from now and possibly chewing up some innings as an effective starter. Uh, not a stash right now, but we'll probably talk about James Paxton on a future waiver episode. So really curious to see what the Red Sox do at the deadline because I do think Bayo's chances of hanging around are growing by the day as the injuries continue to pile up in Boston. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can find Al on Twitter at AlMelkyRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We're back with you on Wednesday with Under the Radar. Under the Radar.